the first thing you do when you start a practice, and I write this in my book, there's a, you have to have a vision. You just don't go in there and just say, well, I'm going to let things happen to me. You make things happen. I wrote down, I have no clue why Sabrina, at the age of 29, where I got these ideas from, must have read something or heard something. By the age of 29, I wrote down how I want everything to be done. I had time between finishing my residency, getting the uh, money for the practice, buying the practice. I had a few months to figure this all out. So what happens by day one, think about day one, you're gonna be in the office. How do you want that day to be? Hi, friend. Welcome back to the Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina. I am a cardiothoracic surgery PA, a public health practitioner with a background in neuroscience and a peak performance coach. I'm here to empower you, an ambitious healthcare professional with a demanding career, just like me, to become a confident leader who are living fulfilled and purposeful so you can be both a powerhouse in your career and the passionate person in life without feeling overwhelmed, underappreciated, or undervalued. As a bonus, we're hosting a online summit just for you live starting on July 27th to August 1st with 18 experts in our field to give you a recharge in life. All the proceeds will be donated to the Brave of Heart Fund, which supports healthcare professionals and their family who has passed away due to COVID-19. But it is free to join. So hop over to sabrinarumback.com forward slash summit to find out more. You can also see the link in our show notes. In the meantime, let's continue our journey for your powerful and passionate life with today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode. Today, I have the honor to have Dr. Peter Wishney with us. And he is a director of Family Foot and Ankle Specialist and a business leader coach. And he says his goal to treat people gently and quickly so they can get back to their activities as soon as possible. It's his philosophy that people want to be on not off their feet. And that's how he approached the treatment of their problems. And not only he coaches people on building their own private practices, but he's also an author of the podiatry business solution. He published in different medical journals and also lectures at Rutgers University. He has been appointed as American Board of Podiatry Orthopedics Board of Examiner and Mayor's Advisor in Piscataway Health Advisory Commission in New Jersey. So welcome, Dr. Peter. Thank you, Sabrina. That just sounds like I'm old. Sounds like I've been around a long time doing all these things. That's all that sounds like. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on our show. So what was your journey like getting into med school? Like, what was that trigger, that interest got you going? And why pick podiatry? Great question. So um, I was always wanted to be a doctor since I was nine years old. And the reason being is because in fifth grade, I missed about 40 days of school because I was uh, severely asthmatic. And every time I went to the doctor, my pediatrician made me feel better. 
So I said, well, what a great thing to do that when I'm like not feeling well, I go to the doctor, it gives me a shot and I feel better. So I've always wanted to be a pediatrician, but going through college, realizing that pediatricians and God bless you all work really, really hard, long hours. Back then, they didn't have the nurse practitioner that can get the calls in the middle of the night. They get calls two, three o'clock in the morning from some parent that is nervous that their child has a hundred degree temperature. And so the time involved, lower pay than most other other physician specialties, and I love sports medicine. So I asked my guidance counselor, what can I do with that? And the option was a podiatrist. And my father's best friend, uh, our next door neighbor, was a podiatrist. And I went to his office, visited what he did, and thought, well, this is great. Hours are great. Get to treat everything with the foot and ankle, dermatology, orthopedic, neurology, everything. So there's a lot of diversity. Plus, I'm like an instant gratification kind of person. You come in and you come in pain and then we'll get you better faster um, and you're out of pain. And I don't know if everybody else have heard this line before, but if you go to your regular doctor being sick, he says, or she says, take these pills for a week and you'll feel better. So you take pills for a week and you feel better. Or if you don't take them when you have the flu, you feel better in seven days. So then if you take them, you better. It takes you seven days. If you don't take them, you better in seven days. So I like the instant gratification, get my patients feeling better almost immediately, almost all the time. So that's how I decided to go to a podiatry school. Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely can see how podiatry do get the instant gratification versus me in cardiovascular surgery. That's not so much. I think for us, yes, going to surgery itself, yeah, we can do it under still, right? Minimal, at least four hours for our cases. But the recovery journey is a lot longer for the people who are in heart surgery versus podiatry. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, foot surgery, you know, when it comes to the surgery part, it does take the typical four, six, eight weeks to uh, mend them. And so that's not so instant either, but everything else we do is almost. Yeah, that's perfect. So when you started your own business, when was that? What was the first experience that you had? So I never worked for anyone in my life except for in going being a day camp counselor in my teens or working at Burger King or Toys R Us. But in professional life, I never worked for anyone. I went to podiatry school, which is four years after four years of college. And then I did a two-year surgical residency. The first year was in Queens, New York at Parsons Hospital, which is now part of Flushing Hospital in Queens. And my second year, I did a fellowship in foot and ankle surgery at Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem, Israel which was a great, great experience, so fantastic. And then at the age of 29, remember, I'm about $100,000 in student debt. <laughs> then I went to a bank to get another $100,000 to purchase this practice, plus getting $100,000 in a credit line. So I was like $300,000 in debt before I even saw my first patient. So I was going to become an associate for someone, but I had this opportunity to buy this practice and I had to learn how to do this on my own. You know, we don't, they don't teach you how to run a business in a medical school at all. So um, it's, um, it was definitely a learning experience my first few years. Right. And I feel like there's very similar stories with my friends who are in dentistry, who are acupuncturists, who want to have physical rehab, want to have a piece of their own, right? Something that they can build into their own name or making a, a, the community better in this vision that they're creating. 
But we have so many driving force behind our vision, our motivation. But to make that flourish, it takes another set of skill. And I'm really happy that you're here to help us to see if we're going to create something of our own. How do we get started, right? What to pay attention to or some of the downfalls that we should be avoiding? Okay, so it's a great question. When I started my practice, you know, the first thing you do when you start a practice, and I write this in my book, there's a, you have to have a vision. You just don't go in there and just say, well, I'm going to let things happen to me. You make things happen. I wrote down, I have no clue why Sabrina, at the age of 29, where I got these ideas from, must have read something or heard something. By the age of 29, I wrote down how I want everything to be done. I had time between finishing my residency, getting the uh, money for the practice, buying the practice. I had a few months to figure this all out. So what happens but day one, think about it, day one, you're going to be in the office. How do you want that day to be? After about 30 years in practice, I still want to know how I want my days to go. And I plan every single day. So you picture someone's going to call the office. You hope someone calls the office, first of all. And that's marketing. That's another area. So if someone calls the office, how do you want your phones to be answered? And I remember the story that my front desk person answered doctor's office. Like every other doctor's office answers it doctor's office. And my good friend and doctor, mentor, Dr. Bruce Ferber, called me once and said, which office is this? Which doctor is this? Is this the gynecologist? Is this the podiatrist? Which doctor? So he made me think. My staff now will answer, thank you for calling family financial specialists. This is, you know, Amanda speaking. How may I help you? So everything is written down. The key, just like McDonald's. Every single step is written down. Your protocols, your systems need to be in place. Now, it's a new patient. How do you handle that call? How do you get that new patient to feel comfortable on the phone, you know, comfortable with your practice, making sure that patient actually shows up to the office and have that whole phone scenario written down and retrain on that. We constantly train. So staff, step number one, Protocols and systems for every little thing along the way, from how they are greeted into the office, how the office looks, smells, and feels, the sounds, getting all the kinesthetics involved. So the music that's going to be playing, how it smells with fresh flowers, maybe coffee, how you greeted. I go to my doctor's office. They have a big glass mirror window, I should say, a big glass window. I go there. I could fog up that window they won't even know I'm there. I'm signing my name and I really want them to acknowledge my presence so I don't sit in the waiting room waiting forever. They don't even know I'm there. So I'm waiting for them to go like, hi. And even if you're on the phone, you see someone coming into the window, you like have to wave. Hi, I got you. I got you. I know you're there. I see you. So all that is written down. If you want something to happen, you need to not assume your staff knows this. Write it down and train them. So how are they now greeted from the, I call it, by the way, Sabrina, a welcome area and not a waiting room, but we don't have that anymore either. Since COVID, we close up that. So it's valet medicine. They call the office, we read them out, we get them from the car, get them right into the treatment room. How are they greeted? How are they escorted? Is the medical assistant like three feet ahead of the patient or they're walking sort of tandem together and making conversation and developing relationships? bring them into the treatment room, not having them wait too long for the doctor. They wait in the waiting room. They wait in the treatment room. They wait when they get checked out. You have to stop it. You have to have great customer service. And the steps along the way will tell you how to do that. 
So you have your whole protocols and systems in place. And the next thing is, and we'll go into that, I'll let you ask me any questions, but staff, when you first start off, you need someone to answer the phone. The mistake that I made is I was like, even though I didn't have that many patients, I didn't have a medical assistant. This was 1989, no automatic processing for or digital processing for x-rays. You're too young for this, but you take these the film, take the x-ray take, and go in the dark room, put it in these hangers, dip it into tanks of chemical fluids and get the chemicals all over your lab coat. And then you let it dry for a couple of minutes and then you come out. And that was the process. I was doing that for the first like several months. Then I had a consultant. She said, you have to stop doing that. I said, but I don't have enough patience. I don't need that another person. Here's the key. If you want to build something, you need to plan ahead and to grow, you need the people, the good, good people around you. So I immediately hired a medical assistant part-time because I was afraid that I didn't have the money for a full-time person. And I probably really didn't need the part-time person. In a few months after I had this part-time person, I needed another full-time medical assistant. So I had one and a half people. So if you build it, they will come, but you have to have the systems in place in order to grow. That's your protocols, your systems, and a great, great staff. Yeah, I think those are great points. I think one of the number one thing is having a clarity of what that end goal looks like, right? For you is that experience people coming in from the moment they pick up the phone and they feel connected, welcomed. It's not just another patient going to see the doctor as an authority. Now you're actually part of almost like a family being treated for a relationship you're building with them. In medicine, we always say, it's a service. That means people can go somewhere else. And if we treat them better than they expected, of course, they're always coming back to you and even more order mouth. And we did mention a little bit on marketing. That's a completely different topic, right? But in the core foundation, it's the same thing as why I help with the healthcare professionals to feel more powerful, passionate. One of the key steps is to have this clarity on your motivation. Because our willpower is so short. If we're not really clear on what's behind the driving force, it's easy to get pulled off track when things are difficult. Just like Dr. Peter said, like in the beginning, you're putting so much money into something and it's scary, but we have the courage of moving forward. And the second step that he mentioned is very critical as well, that we have to learn to rely on other people as well. We have to learn to trust others. If we do the jobs that are mundane, then it's robbing our precious time where we can actually be providing service to others, right? When he added that part-time staff and then soon adding a full-time staff because he's freeing up time, he can see more patient and that means billing more. That means you're actually creating revenue and that revenue can hire a whole team now. Yeah, absolutely. So even now after 30 some years in practice, I'm looking at other ways to be more efficient. So there are a few key numbers. I'm a numbers guy. And what numbers will tell you is how not to micromanage. You know, one of the things are as physicians, we are perfectionists. You don't go into surgery, Sabrina, thinking, well, I'm going to do a good enough job. It's like, it can't be just okay. Okay. Oh, they survived. We did it. Okay. No, it has to be you're there trying to be your perfectionist. But that personality trait we have cannot always be used in a business situation. Because if you try to micromanage, you get everything perfect. You will never have your freedom. You never enjoy your practice. You'll be burnt out way too long, way too early in your career. And you need to trust, like you said, your staff 
as long as they get the result that you're looking for, which is keeping your patients happy. And you know what, talking about customer service, it's not so hard. Our expectations today for good customer service, the bar right now is so low. All you have to do is smile, be nice, be pleasant, give them what they want as long as it's legal and moral you make them happy. Right, exactly. I think one study being found, more studies have been shown up that when we smile, people naturally smile back at you, right? It's just a physiological expression, but it's psychology as well. Just think of your daily normal life. How many times you try to smile at people and people actually showing your sad face, right? I mean, like if that really is the case, they probably have something really terrible in their life, right? Be understanding. And one of my mentors always said, everyone is always right 10% of the time. And if we just keep that in mind, life is not that bad. We just have to be sure about our own intention. And if we come out from the servitude and gratitude, then we can fulfill other people's desire and be feeling more fulfilled ourselves. Right. Now in Texas, it's probably easier when you smile, they smile back. Not necessarily in New York City. Well, yeah, but I feel <laughs> but, like when we're in New York, you don't even look at people most of the time, right? You're just like, okay, now your head, I'm moving on. So it, it's, it is a culture thing. But if people are coming into our office, our clinic, then they become part of our service, our family. So then you are in control of that situation. Absolutely. That's why I named my practice Family Foot and Ankle Specialist because, and it says, consider yourself one of the family. And we've had that mentality. It should not be a line or a sentence, but if you work towards that mentality and everybody does, then it's such a nice place to work because you're trying to relieve stress amongst your staff. I just wrote something today, which is going to post later in the, this week. Treat your staff like you would treat your patients. Who should you take care of first? And it really, it really answers your staff because if you treat them well, they will treat the patients well. People like business owners will treat the clients, the patients, you know, the customers great, but they don't necessarily treat the staff. But that doesn't provide the proper culture because it gets passed down to the clients and the patients. So you have to treat your staff well. And then you have the same mentality with your customers and patients. Everything just follows through. Exactly. I think that's such a key point is when we feel valued, when we feel connected to everyone instead of coming from an authority, that's why I coach people on building influence because leadership is not just giving orders. That's just a manager. You're not a leader if people do that. And true influence is be able to connect, share value, share knowledge, be able to ask the right questions and have a confirmation that they truly understood you. So then we can make impact together. Awesome. So before we wrap up, one thing that I do a little bit differently from other people is that I believe no matter how much experience we have, how much expert we are, we always can find our strengths and leverage on that and discover something that might be our hidden roadblocks. Because once you bring things into service, then they no longer become the scary thing to hold you back. And we can actually do something about it. So Dr. Wishney answered this 10 question, three minutes um, quiz, holistic life assessment I had built. And this is his result. Let's see. So he is from the chart we're seeing his top ones, 10 out of 10 is on his career achievement. And other ones that are high up there was the nines are his life mission, 
his health and fitness, emotional well-being, as well as personal characters. And the lower ones are financial intelligence, and his quality of life, and social life. Are anything surprising to you? Oh uh, no, no, that's, that's about right. It's nice colors here. Nice, very nice colors. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, thank you. Anything that you was think from your uh, how you can leverage better on your strengths, the area that you are not so strong on, such as your financial intelligence and quality of life. Anything that you would change to elevate those areas? So I like this whole concept. I when I filled everything out, what this does, any of these kind of tests do, make you aware. That's all it should do. You should never. This could cause stress in some people's lives, not me. Okay, but what it should it do? What should you focus on? It makes you aware of where you should spend or where your focus should be. Now, people talk about having a well-balanced life. At any given moment in your life, you're truly not balanced. What you are is that okay. There's certain times you have to spend more time with the family. There's certain times you have to spend more time with your business. But overall, you want something well balanced, and you look at it at a period of time. Let's say a week or a couple of weeks. Maybe you know you feel like you need to spend more time with your friends, and you start calling up your friends, say let's get together and what have you. Um, but making you aware where you like need some more help in. And when it comes to like here it says finances, you know my finances are fine, but I'm I'm not. A, I love to make money, okay, and I'm I think I'm good at that. But when it comes to like investments and all that becoming, I mean, if I was, if I love being on Wall Street at all, I could make a lot more money. But it's not who I am. Okay, I have people who help me with that, and I read stuff and I try to get better at it. But I just have to have faith that my accountants and and the people around me are doing a good job. And I just I need to spend more focus on it and making sure they're doing a good job. Okay. This is, remember, I'm over 30 years experience in running a business. I'm trying now, I'm, I'm also a business coach and I'm getting that off the ground. That's my, my, I have pa- lots of passions. Like you, Sabrina, there's lots of passions we have, but you can't be all. So that at certain times of the days, I'm a podiatrist and I run my practice and I'm an owner. And then the certain days of the week that I spend just on helping others with their practices, helping others with their businesses. And that is what you call an ideal week. You have this, um, I use a Michael Hyatt planner. There's all kinds of planners, but when am I going to spend time on this, on my business of business coaching and uh, versus podiatry? So you put, and when am I going to find time this week? This is what I do tonight. So every Sunday night, what's important for me this week? So when am I going to find time to spend time with my uh, sons, my girlfriend, you know, the things that are really important. And if you haven't read it, the um, the book by Stephen Covey, Seven Habits. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It really is talking about sharpening the soil, put the big rocks in, taking care of your health. Every day, six of the seven days of the week, at least five, I'm working out. Okay. And I see your workout videos. And that starts the day off. Taking care of mental clarity, taking care of your health. If you don't have that, you have zero. That's where you have me time. Okay me time and then you can sit down and write down what you're grateful for and help with spiritual life but there's certain times like when i've been writing my book got up early in the morning instead of doing my normal routine of my gratitude journal and reading a few pages i would just like how to get my 500 words in that day and i would use that time and that's okay and sometimes i felt guilty because i didn't do the other things and then i realized 
you're not like we're human beings and we have to decide at a specific moment what is really important in your life and handle that. And don't feel guilty that you didn't do that project today because you did something else. Even if it's like, I just rested for an hour by having a glass of wine at uh, six o'clock at night and I just need to unwind because sometimes you need to know when to slow down. Exactly. I think that's a, such a key point. I One of the most common questions people ask me is, Sabrina, I don't understand how you can do all. I can't balance it all. And my answer always is, it's okay. There's no such thing as balance. There's only creating harmony cycles. You have to be intentional about cycling through all the key components of life, just like the 10 wheels is showing you. These are 10 key ingredients. You don't have to spend two hours in a gym or for yourself. But even just that 10 minutes of activity or a mini mental vacation where I teach people even two minutes, you can reboot your energy and refocus. That's enough to keep you going. But if you don't even allow yourself to stop, then we tank, right? Like that battery just drains. And now we keep pushing to the limit and thinking we can do it. And that's when the signs of burned out start showing up. So be intentional, forgive yourself, just like what Dr. Peter is saying, like give yourself grace. And we're all human. We can always reassess our life and then moving forward. Awesome. So now that we're wrapping up, how can people find you if they wanted to have more advices on building their own business as a new provider or healthcare professional starting something or they wanted to scale the business? Great. Excellent. Great question. Thank you. It's just peter at toppractices.com and uh, email me there. You can go on my website, which I'm still developing, which is Peter Wishney. That's W-I-S-H-N-I-E.com. And um, you can contact me anytime. Any questions, be glad to help you. And uh, that's what we're here for. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. And everyone have a good day. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, my friend, how are you? How did you like this episode? Did you love it? If you do, please subscribe to our show so you can continue to build your mental intelligence. And I do have a big ask. This ask is really not for me, but for everybody else out there. We want to hear your thoughts and your stories because those words and thoughts deserve to be shared. When you share your stories, then you inspire others to take action. You empower them to live into a purposeful and fulfilled life as well. And together, we can be both powerful and passionate where we can overcome any mental roadblocks keeping you from success. We can be both powerful and passionate where we're no longer distracted by mundane busy work and focus only on the things that truly matter. We can be both powerful and passionate where you feel energized from the moment you woke up to the time you go to bed. Join me and together we can create a life where you can be both powerful and passionate.